Okay, right about now, the one question that you don't need to write down, but you're probably thinking, is does this guy ever say anything encouraging? <laughs> That's what this meeting's all about. This is where you finally get a little good news, okay? Um, but I guess I like to pretend that reality is the best place to start to, to build on, you know? And so I, I, I've tried to portray the reality as I see it of, of what has influenced our current status. Now we're going to go through some other things here, but let's, let's have a word of prayer to, to begin this. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you for your blessing. We thank you for the counsel you've given, the abundant counsel. It's almost too much. It's a struggle to get through it, to figure out all the details, Father. And so we thank you as well that you have promised that we don't have to know everything, but just get started and that you'll explain it as we go. We pray now that you'll be with us as we spend this time in this last meeting. Pray that we would find a path forward, not just forward, but a path to the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, last presentation here. Picking up the pieces, learn the lessons, get it right. We're going to skip over all the review because that review is all that we just covered. So, and we're going to skip over that too because you already know that with any luck at all. And we're going to start here, looking at some of the specifics of this plan that Ellen White mentioned of how to work the cities. Not mentioned, uh, promulgated, wrote about time after time. Okay, I'm going to start with vegetarian restaurants, something that I'm currently involved in. <clears throat> the first, the first, uh, the basis, let's put it that way, for the whole possibility of vegetarian restaurants as an evangelistic enterprise came up June 28, 1877. What actually happened was a colorful character of American history, a guy by the name of P.T. Barnum, brought his circus to Battle Creek. It was a, a, a one-day gig, and the good citizens of Battle Creek were scared. Not because the circus people were going to do something bad, but because this was the only excitement that had come into Calhoun County for months. And everybody from around was going to come to the circus. And a good share of them were going to get drunk. And bad things were going to happen afterwards. And so the idea was discussed around and eventually the good sisters of the Battle Creek Church, they put up two tents. Uh, probably the brethren put the tents up. Anyhow, they put up two tents and they served hygienic food. <laughs> uh, vocabulary changes over time. Um, that would mean vegetarian, okay? <laughs> um, they, they served juices and breads and fruits. They had a big display of canned fruit in you know, bottles, jar, canned jars of fruit. That was a kind of a novel thing still at that point. And they had this big display. And sure enough, the people came from all around Calhoun County. They came and they said the best food in town was at the Advent tent. And they didn't have any problems with drunkards. And the people of the, of the town were thankful. And Ellen White said, wow, we did that with one day. What if we had 
a restaurant. Well, she talked about it some during the 1880s. I don't really know when the first one was started. There's encouragement that you find. She didn't talk about it a whole lot during the 1890s when she was in Australia. September 21, 1900, she landed in San Francisco Bay, coming back from Australia. And very quickly after that, you find her discussing vegetarian restaurants in far more negative terms. September 23, 1905, she spoke to a whole group of vegetarian restaurant workers there in San Francisco. And she had some problems she wanted to call to their attention. The vegetarian restaurants had been taking young people away from more specifically evangelistic lines of work. She said, why is there such a dearth of laborers in these important lines of work? Our young people choose to labor in some place where they can live without any particular exercise of their mind spiritually. The restaurants offer a free field for such individuals. Anybody here involved with the summer canvassing program? <laughs> Keep those things pure. Okay? I know the history of where the Magabook programs came from. The guy who did more to start than any other was my next door neighbor for two years. I love him. He's my friend. He runs good programs. Others sometimes don't. Don't let it happen. Just annoys me no end. When somebody comes up with a viable method for, for doing something good for the Lord, and then those who care nothing for the method but maybe see that, oh, look at that, you can earn some money to go to college. And they mess it up. That should never be allowed. Well, okay. That's what was happening with our restaurants. It's like, here's little Johnny. He grows up in an Adventist home. Now he's 18. Time to start earning your own money, John. Well, I guess I better get a job. Where can I, where can I get a job? You know, he's an Adventist. He's culturally expected to do something for the church. But he really doesn't have any appetite for church work. But there's a restaurant in San Francisco that's serving 500 meals a day. They need a lot of workers. I'll go work there. And you just got one more bad influence in your restaurant. One more total, what do I want to say here? Total ineffective non-soul winner. Don't do it. Ellen White had some strong words on that point. Okay. Vegetarian restaurants hadn't been looking after the workers. The managers of our restaurants are to work for the salvation of the employees. They, the managers, are to devote their best powers to instructing their employees in spiritual lines, explaining the scriptures to them and praying with them and for them. They are to guard the religious interests of the helpers as carefully as parents are to guard the religious interests of their children. They weren't doing that. They were saying, oh, John, you want to work in the restaurant? Good. Well, we pay minimum wage. You can work eight hours a day, uh, so you can expect to get this much money. Uh, find yourself an apartment. Welcome to San Francisco. 
Any big surprise we were losing kids left and right? That's stupid. Pardon the judgmentalism. But it is stupid. <laughs> okay? Unless our restaurants are conducted in this way, with the managers working for the salvation of the employees, it will be necessary to warn our people against sending their children to them as workers. The managers of our restaurants must do more to save the young people in their employ. Every one of them, the employees, needs to be sheltered by home influences. We have a real problem in our culture today. We have legally hypnotized ourselves into thinking that 18-year-olds are adults. This is false. 18-year-olds are technically 18-year-olds. Okay? <laughs> they are becoming adults. Experience comes, oh, I'll skip that line. That's okay, it's not worth it. Anyhow, you don't take an 18-year-old and just throw them to the world. They were doing that. We have such an emphasis on young people wanting to gain their freedom and their independence. No, that's not the way it works. For Christians, well, you're a part of a body. The school is modeled after a home. Okay, going on. Vegetarian restaurants had become too absorbed in commercialism. She said, I have been making inquiries as to how many have been converted to the truth as a result of the work done by our restaurants. Can anyone inform me? There was no answer. I fear the answer might have been none. As God's chosen people, our only work... Look at that. Aren't those three interesting words? Our only work is to win souls and teach the gospel. But the restaurants are not doing this work. They never have done it, and they never can do it unless the workers are thoroughly converted to God. I do not say that all our restaurants should be closed, but as I have seen the situation, I have sometimes wished that circumstances would arise that would compel them to be closed. It seems almost an impossibility for us to place ourselves in such a position that the existing evils can be corrected. And so I start a vegetarian restaurant. That seems smart, doesn't it? <laughs> it can be done. By God's grace, it will be done. But I don't think it'll be done by anyone who hasn't waded their way through the bad news first. Does that make sense? That's why I so depressing in my first two presentations. <laughs> Still a little depression going on here. We'll get over it. Okay. Medical ministry. <clears throat> As religious aggression subverts the liberties of our nation, those who would stand for freedom of conscience will be placed in unfavorable positions. For their own sake, they should, while they have opportunity, become intelligent in regard to disease, its causes, prevention, and cure. And those who do this will find a field of labor anywhere. There will be suffering ones, plenty of them, who will need help, not only among those of our own faith, but largely among those who know not the truth. Now, that's what she's saying. She's saying, you know, as things are getting tough, as, as people start to hate you, it might be a good thing if some of them liked you. 
and they might like you if you save them from some noxious disease, okay, or something, whatever, you know. Minister to them. Win their confidence, win their love. You're going to need it someday. It's for your own sake, she said. I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines but medical missionary work. That's an interesting statement. No work done in ministerial lines but medical missionary work. Now, if you read that, you might think that means everyone but doctors and nurses, nurses will be out of the ministry business. But if you thought that, you would be wrong. So let's look at the question of who is involved here. Let our ministers who have gained an experience in preaching the word learn how to give simple treatments and then labor intelligently as medical missionary evangelists. Who was that? Ministers. All gospel workers should know how to give the simple treatments that do so much to relieve pain and remove disease. Who was that? Gospel workers. In every place the sick may be found, and those who go forth as workers for Christ should be true health reformers, prepared to give those who are sick the simple treatments that will relieve them and then pray with them. Thus they will open the door for the entrance of the truth. Who are we talking about? Workers for Christ. As the canvasser goes from place to place, he will find many who are sick. He should have a practical knowledge of the causes of diseases and should understand how to give simple treatments that he may relieve the suffering ones. Who? The canvassers. In the 58th chapter of Isaiah, the Lord tells us plainly what the work is that he requires of us. In order that our young people may be fully prepared to do this work, small sanitariums are to be connected with our schools. The students are to be taught how to use nature's simple remedies in the treatment of disease. Who's this? Students. God's people are to be genuine medical missionaries. They are to learn to minister to the need of soul and body. They should know how to give the simple treatments that do so much to relieve pain and remove disease. Who's that? So, there you have it. Medical missionary work is not for everyone. Unless you happen to be a healthcare professional, minister, gospel worker, canvasser, student, or church member. <laughs> now... That was the who. The medical what. What was the... I know we were focusing on who, but what was the other common thread through all those last statements? Simple treatments. Simple treatments. Okay? God's remedies are the simple agencies of nature that will not tax or debilitate the system through their powerful properties. Pure air and water, cleanliness, a proper diet, purity of life, and a firm trust in God are remedies for the want of which thousands are dying. Yet these remedies are going out of date because their skillful use requires work that the people do not appreciate. Who, who's the people? Well, just, just, okay, just think for a second here. You've got the sick guy and you've got the one who's caring for him. Now, which one of those two categories are the people that don't appreciate the work? <laughs> the healthcare providers. Sure, they're not stupid. If you have an easy way to get a job done and you have a hard way to get the same job done, which would you rather have? The easy way. But what is your job? Is your job to heal the body only? Or is it a fact that our only work is to win souls. And you know what? Simple treatments take time. Usually one-on-one -on -one time with some poor guy who's usually stuck in bed or a bathtub. <laughs> he can't go anywhere. You've got him cornered. What a great opportunity. 
<laughs> you know, it's designed for evangelism. <laughs> okay, moving on. Why is there this emphasis on simple remedies? Now, don't get me wrong. I'll say it again. I love high-tech science. I love high-tech medicine. It has its place. It's not the tool for evangelism that other things can be, though. Okay? So, but why this emphasis for simple remedies? I'm going to give you a guess. I don't know this for sure, but I'm going to tie two things together. If I'm tying them correctly, that's the answer. If I'm tying two things that don't belong together, then reject it and say, Dave, you're all wet, man. Come on, grow up. Okay? Here's my guess. In the last scenes of this earth's history, war will rage. There will be pestilence, plague, and famine. The waters of the deep will overflow. Their boundaries, property, and life will be destroyed by fire and flood. Sounds like a bad day for everybody but the news guys. Lots of news going on, okay? My guess is that our existing medical services will be overwhelmed through some means or another. That's a bad thing, but it's a good thing because it gives God's people a chance to minister, okay? How will that happen? I don't know. Could it really happen? Maybe. Ever hear of uh, this one? Methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. Yeah, it's a problem. You know? Is it overwhelming the medical system right now? No, not yet. No, there's... What's that? <laughs> it's, it's a problem, though, okay? Could it become an overwhelming problem? I don't know, maybe. You know, I'm, I'm, hey, I don't have a degree in molecular you know, biology or whatever that is. Okay. Extremely drug-resistant tuberculosis? Yeah, that's a problem. Adenovirus, serotype 14? Yeah, that one kind of fell out of the news. It was big a while back. Avian flu, H5N1. Swine flu, H1N1. Could those become problems? Yes, they could. Have they yet? Well, not as much as they thought they might. Is it going to happen someday? Maybe. I don't know. My prophet? No, no camel hair here. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a prophet. I don't know, but that's my guess. I could add one more to that list that I didn't get typed on. How about the whole medical system in the United States at least being overwhelmed by, mm, say, maybe government regulations? <laughs> Just a thought. There's some weird stuff going on in politics today. You know, who knows? Okay. In a worst case scenario, any one of those could. Okay. But that would give us a chance to do something very special. The study of surgery and other medical science receives much attention in the world, but the true science of medical missionary work, there is a true science of medical mission, and it's contrasted with the study of surgery and other medical science. It's different. We are called to a different work, okay? The true science of medical missionary work carried forward as Christ carried it is new and strange to the denominational churches and to the world, but it will find its rightful place when we as a people who have had great light when, as the people have had great light, Seventh-day Adventists awaken to their responsibilities and improve their opportunities. It will. I take that as a promise. I will or I will not live long enough to see it happen, but I take it as a promise. I don't know when, okay? I take that as a promise. Here's another thought I want to we'll dwell some, spend some time on. Company evangelism. This is fascinating. During the night... Of February 27, 1910, 
The unworked cities were represented before me as a living reality, and I was plainly instructed that there should be a decided change from past methods of working. For months, the situation has been impressed in my mind, and I urge that companies be organized and diligently trained to labor in our important cities. A couple of months ago, I was giving these presentations up at the South Center Church in Seattle. And after I read that statement, a young lady in the audience put her hand up and she said, do you realize that that's 100 years ago to the day? Happened to be February 27, 2010. It's been a, it's been a century. It's been a century that there has been a call for a decided change in our way of working the cities. I think it's time to do it. This is not the only vision that this comes from, but this is, in a certain sense, is, is a, a marked particular case, okay? After this vision, that was February 27th, I don't have an exact date on this, but sometime maybe about April, I think. I think I could probably narrow that or nail that down a little bit closer, but I haven't done all the homework I should. About April of 1910, Ellen White came to Loma Linda, and she called the most trustworthy man she knew, whose name was? John Burden. And she called the man who she described as the best Bible worker we had in the denomination. His name was? No. Roderick Sterling Owen, R.S. Owen, Bible instructor at Loma Linda. She insisted on having him here to get this school off to a good start. She called those two guys and I think two others, but I'm not sure exactly who they were. Um, sorry, it'd be fun to know. And she told them, I, I, I only have this from kind of verbal history, right? So it's not really written down someplace. It's hard to verify all the details. But she, she called these three, maybe four guys, and she said something along the lines of, Brethren, I am placing the responsibility for gospel medical missionary evangelism on your shoulders. God will hold you responsible. Make sure that it happens. Whoa. Well, that was 1910. They looked around. I mean, there are now a committee of four, right? Anybody serve on a committee? <laughs> oh, I hate committees. <laughs> I just hate committee work. I just do. I just, it's not my thing. They did what committees always do. When they actually want to accomplish something, eh, they delegated, okay? So they looked around and they said, who can we pick for the point man? Who's going to make this happen? And they looked around at the graduating class of 1910, graduating from the two-year gospel medical missionary course. And there was one guy that stood out in their minds. He was a little older than most of the students. He'd been a, a recent convert. He was only, actually only converted let me think, yeah, nine, so another year back, it'd be eight. Okay, he was converted in the, in the spring of 1908, okay? Is that right? Yeah, that'd be right. He was converted in the spring of 1908. He had been a law student. I don't know if he ever took the bar exam or not. He had been a newspaper man. I don't know if that means he was a reporter or a publisher or if he sold them on the news corner or the street corner. I don't know what that really means. And I guess he gave up those two lines of work. He wanted something a little more dependable. And he went out in the desert of California or someplace, and he was prospecting for gold. <laughs> okay? So he's out here in the desert prospecting for gold. He's an atheist. And he gets sick. And he ends up staying in the cabin of a guy they called Papa Bell. 
don't know anything about the guy other than this one little story, who was a gold prospector and happened to be an Adventist. Not, not a common combination, but anyhow, he was out there prospecting for gold. He was a Seventh-day Adventist. And he gets this sick atheist now who's, you know, stuck in his cabin and driving him crazy with, with I don't believe the Bible, I don't believe the Bible, all that kind of stuff, okay? And so Papa Bell argued with him for a while, finally he gave up. And as I understand it, the young man was stuck in bed. Papa Bell says, you know, I'm tired of listening to you. Here, read that. And he walks out. Threw him a copy of Desire of Ages. He was converted in the spring of 1908 by Desire of Ages. Well, he gave up gold prospecting. He says there's better things to do. He came to Loma Linda, looked the situation over, and he said, medical missionary work is the ticket. You can see it plain as day. That's what the spirit of the prophecy is calling for. And he signs up for the two-year medical missionary course in the fall of 1908. So the spring of 1910, he's graduating. He's a little older. And so these guys, four guys, they look at him and they say, maybe he's our man. He's only been an Adventist for two years. Maybe he's our man. And so they approached him and they said, would you take on this job of... of showing a, a decided change in our evangelistic work, a whole new approach, gospel, medical, missionary, company, evangelism. They prayed about it, and finally he said, yes. That's him there. You may or may not have ever heard of him. John H. N. Tyndall. He pioneered gospel, medical, missionary evangelism in California, Indiana, Virginia, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, and Texas. Elder Tyndall combined medical education with his gospel presentations, even though he wasn't a doctor. That's what he'd been trained to do at the two-year medical missionary training course, right? Why? Because Loma Linda is to be not only a sanitarium, but an educational center for the training of gospel medical missionary evangelists. What a great thought, okay? But something was still missing. Sister White's vision of February 27, 1910 had called for the formation of companies, the core of workers that we saw earlier, okay? Same concept. It took a couple of years for Elder Tyndall to figure out how to make that happen. But when he did, it showed up. It, it, it showed big time, okay? We have the information. Fortunately, it's been preserved for us. We have the facts, the, the statistics, for five evangelistic campaigns that he conducted before he incorporated the company concept, okay? His work had been rather, you know, fairly successful. Over those five campaigns, he had an average of 36 baptisms per campaign. That's, 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 that's pretty fair. I know a lot of evangelists that would be no, happy for that. 36 precious souls. Not bad. But then he said, we're not doing what the Spirit of Prophecy called for. And he got himself a company of workers. And we have the statistics for the next six campaigns. Average, 121 baptisms per campaign for the next six. That's good. <laughs> Okay, Not quite four times as many. Now, he was using four times as many workers. So you could say, well, that's not any good. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, fewer baptisms per capita. You could say that, but the other workers hadn't been working. <laughs> you know? 
It's not that you're going to get those baptisms anyhow. You weren't. Because what Tyndall was doing was opening doors for more church members to use their talents to work. I came up with a really warped illustration this morning. I'm going to use it just because it's, it's kind of cute. We have become conditioned to expect large event, technologically advanced, and uh, uh, um, high-profile events to move the gospel forward, okay? No, I'm not knocking net this or net that or something like that. Those are good things. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those, but I'm saying we've become accustomed to expect something, some big high-tech thing to, to come along and make the gospel go forward, okay? That's good. We should use every means we can. But it's kind of like we've gotten conditioned now. We've got a tree. And we're waiting for a big elephant to come along and knock the tree over. And elephants can do that. But you know what? A few thousand termites can too. <laughs> it doesn't have to be one big event. It can be keep chipping away with a bunch of people. Get the laity involved. This is how church is growing in South America. Okay, going on. Gospel Medical Missionary Company Evangelism. How did Tyndall come up with those results? Well, he had a company. He had himself, someone who's described as a medical helper, I don't know what that means, and a Bible worker. Those were his three paid positions. He added to that one businessman, one singer, six nurses, and ten unspecified volunteers. You add it all up, that comes up to 21 people, 18 of whom were volunteering. They got room and board. Okay? In 1923, Elder Tyndall returned to the College of Medical Evangelists to study diabetics. Not everyone saw value in this. Okay? What had happened, hold, don't read the sign yet, or, but what had happened basically is that wherever he'd been preaching, somebody who, who didn't like him got all bent out of shape and made a big mess in the, in the press. And, now this guy is going around and telling people about dietetics, and he, he's not a dietitian. You know? And so he tried to discredit him because he didn't have formal training. So Tyndall says, okay, okay, let me think about this. And he thought about it, and you'll see why he did what he did. He wrote, while at Loma Linda, taking my training in dietetics, I had a very prominent man of our denomination say to me, John, what are you doing here? What do you expect to do studying dietetics? Do you think it right to leave your great work as an evangelist and come here and spend all this time studying dietetics? In reply to my good friend, I said, time will show the wisdom of my plan, brother. Did you ever read in Testimonies, volume 9, page 112, where it says... There are some who think that the question of diet is not of sufficient importance to be included in their evangelistic work, but such make a great mistake. <laughs> Don't you just love it when the spirit of prophecy just nails one? <laughs> I just love that. It's like so cool. Okay, anyhow. So Tyndall came back in 1923 and signed up for a two-year dietetics course. He was doing other things as well, but anyhow. Um, and finally, he graduated in 1925 along with these nice people. 
Uh, actually, I think these two are staff members. It was a small class that year. Uh, <laughs> more important to our story at the moment, though, is a little event that happened. When Tyndall signed up for dietetics in 23, he took, among other things, a chemistry class. And he had a lab partner in the chemistry class who was an unusual student. He should not have been there at all. The main reason was that he was very young. He was only 17. And the college didn't accept people who were 17 in those years. Not only that, it was difficult to really say that he was ready for college because he had absolutely no scholastic record. He had been homeschooled all the way through high school. But nonetheless, he applied to Loma Linda and was accepted into the two-year medical missionary course. And it is perhaps a great blessing that he was accepted because 1923 was the last year it was ever offered. Well, he signs up for the two-year medical missionary course and ends up being John Tyndall's lab partner in the chemistry class. They liked each other. Tyndall liked the younger guy. They finished their class, whatever, you know. Tyndall went on, he graduated. That was in 25, okay? Um, Oh, that was a mistake. <laughs> okay. Um, in 1927, the California conference called Tyndall and said, um, I think it was Elder Scoggins, if I remember the, the president's right, the conference president. There was only one California conference in those years. He, said, he called up Tyndall and he said, we want you to establish a field, a field school of evangelism, teaching how to do gospel, medical, missionary, company evangelism. We've got two salaries, one for you and one for any, anybody you want. Pick the best man you got. We really want this thing to succeed because we've seen what you've been doing. And Elder Tyndall said, okay, I know who I want. Oh, who's that? He says, I want my former lab partner. Well, in 1923, he was 17, so when he graduated in 1925, he was 19. This is now 1927, so the young man is now all of 21 and has no real work experience or track record in denominational employment. Elder Scoggins said, forget it. John, come on, I'm, I don't want you skipping on me. We want this school to succeed. Pick the best man you know. I'm not going to give you that kid. He came back a week later. Well, who do you want now? Come on, come on, we're going to get this thing going. Who, who do you want? He says, I want my lab partner. He turned him down again. He came back a week later. He says, I want my lab partner. Why, he said, why? And this is a key thing, and this is why I want a bunch of 20-somethings in Wichita. Okay? He said, because he's young and doesn't think he knows everything yet. I'd rather train them from scratch than retrain them after they've got other ideas. Well, you may have guessed by now, <laughs> since somebody pushed the wrong button. The young man was WD for Z. Now that's not a picture taken in his youth. <laughs> um, Elder for Z 
was eventually ordained, of course, became Elder Frizee. Elder Frizee worked with Tyndall for 10 years in the Field School of Evangelism um, in varying capacities. In the late 1930s, actually 1937, the Field School of Medical Evangelism uh, was defunded, shall we say. It was the Depression. Money was tight. And the school died. Elder Frizee carried on some evangelistic work here and there around the country. Finally, in 1941, he came to a conclusion. He said, gospel, medical, missionary, evangelism is never going to happen if there's not a school someplace teaching it. Because the medical missionary course was last offered at Loma Linda in 1923. Well, it took a year and some. And in 1942, Elder Frizee founded a little institution you may have heard of, Wildwood, down in Georgia, with the avowed intention of training gospel medical missionary company evangelists. You know, I have a considerable amount of admiration for Elder Frizee. But he didn't have much success. He started in 42. The entire first generation of people that he trained, they learned a lesson from Elder Frizee. They learned the lesson of how to go out and start another institution. They did not learn the lesson of how to go out and start Gospel Medical Missionary Company Evangelism. And so you had, and I'm not saying this is all bad, but you had all these other institutions. You had uh, Oak Haven up in, what is it, Michigan, and uh, Eden Valley in Colorado, and Stone Cave, and I don't remember, all these other, all these schools. All these other little institutions were started. But nobody was doing gospel, medical, missionary, company evangelism. The first time that I know of where Elder Frizee finally got somebody to go out and do this was a young minister in the late 60s. It's a young man who'd heard of Elder Frizee, heard, his, heard some of his talks, admired the spirituality of the man. He was, he was a, a deeply spiritual man. And he said, I want to be, he was a, a young minister. He said, I want to be transferred down to Georgia so I can work with this guy. And he was told something really interesting. He was told, he said, if you do that, it will be professional suicide. Your career as an Adventist minister will be ruined. Well, that was kind of sobering. He thought about it for a while, and he decided he'd, he'd run the risk. So he went down to Wildwood, spent some time working and learning with and from Elder Frizee. And finally, Elder Frizee made some arrangements with another friend of his. Some of you will recognize this. A gentleman by the name of O.J. Mills. That would be Rachel Nelson's grandfather. O.J. Mills had worked with Frizee and was now a minister in the Southern New England Conference. And Frizee made arrangements with O.J. and sent this young minister up to work with Elder Mills in the Southern New England Conference doing gospel, medical, missionary, company evangelism. And the young minister worked with O.J. for, I think, about four years, four and a half years, something like that. While he was there, he learned, he learned the science of gospel medical missionary company evangelism. It's different. It's a different beast. He also met a young lady 
that he took a liking to, and he married her. And along the way, it could be argued that he did not, in fact, commit professional suicide. You may recognize him. That's where Mark and Teeny met, was in OJ and Millie's home. Okay? Why were they there? Because they were volunteers working in Gospel Medical Missionary Company evangelism. Okay? While Mark was there, OJ kind of phased out of the picture. Mark became more the leader of the project. Another young man, another young minister, had gone down to Wildwood. And Elder Frizee got his second. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's been, it's, it's been 30 years, man. <laughs> you know, but he got his second graduate from the Gospel Medical Missionary Course, okay? And this other young minister, he sent him up to work in the southern New England with Mark. You probably won't recognize this guy. Oh, maybe you will. Some of you might. Anybody? His name's Brad Thorpe. He currently works with Gary Gibbs. He is the co-director of the Hope Channel. Okay? I think the picture is kind of distorted. He's, he's, he's a little thinner than that, but anyhow. At least on my screen, it looks kind of it looks a little stretched sideways. Um, Brad was a young single minister came from a town of Kelowna, British Columbia. Happened to be um, the Thorpe family. Happened to be some of the best friends of my wife's family. My wife's Canadian. So they knew him. That was interesting. Um, Brad worked with Mark for a number of years. And then he went to... Vancouver, British Columbia. And he convinced the BC Conference to try Gospel Medical Missionary Company Evangelism. And he put together this team. That's Brad. Some of you may possibly recognize Jack and Trudy Thorpe right there. This is um, Ted and, Ted and, Ted and, what's it say? I'm forgetting her name. I'm sorry. Sharon. Yeah, Ted and Sharon Wasilek. Okay. This gentleman here is my wife's brother. This guy here was my best buddy in the 1970s. Okay. That's where I got my introduction to it. This was Radiant Living Seminars. They had a team of about 10 to 12 volunteers. They all lived in a big house. And the uh, program lasted from 78 to 1983. And then Brad, the, the program closed down. Brad went down to what was known as Lucy, the Lake Union Soul Winning Institute, worked with Mark again down by Chicago. They were hoping to combine gospel medical missionary company evangelism training with the seminary, uh, working out of Andrews. Program only lasted a year. Don't know all the details on that one. Okay. But the idea stuck up in British Columbia. 20-odd years later, three brothers landed in Vancouver, fresh out of the, what was it? I mean, Mission College, there we go. Fresh out of Mission College of Evangelism. You may recognize these guys. 
they wanted to do evangelism in Vancouver. Someone, somewhere up there, remembered the old Radiant Living Seminars team, and that's where they got their name, right? So they started up Radiant Living, Yamil, Jeffrey, and Jay, right? But in all of this, there's still something missing, okay? This is the thread. This is the only thread that I know of that continued this decided change that was called for in 1910, okay? This is the only thread that I know of, but it's, it's still there. It's still there, okay? But there was something missing, and that is there should be companies organized and educated most thoroughly to work as nurses, as evangelists, as ministers, as canvassers, as gospel students to perfect a character after the divine similitude. What was missing <clears throat> was the full scope aspect that had been tried in San Francisco, 1901 to 1906, okay? The Gospel Medical Missionary Company evangelism approach had incorporated some medical work. Tyndall, Frizee had both had nurses and, and physicians working with them. Um, I don't think Mark Finley ever did much. He had health education, but I don't think he had health professionals, so to speak. I know that Brad didn't. He'd occasionally have church members, doctors, that, you know, work with him a little bit, but they didn't have anybody on their team. Jeffrey, Jay, Emil, those guys, I, I don't think that they do. I'm not aware of it if they do. And none of them have the other things that were called for. They, none of them had the, what Ellen White calls for, the, the permanent centers of influence in town. None of them had a vegetarian restaurant or a health food store or something like that. A place where people get to know that's where I can come to find these Adventist folks. You gotta have a, she says, you gotta have a permanent place in town. You gotta be where the people are, you know? But you do it from an outpost, okay? Some of them had outposts. None of them had a permanent, a permanent center of influence in town. Some of them had some medical work, some had less, you know? Nobody's ever brought it all together. Okay? That's how I think it's going to work. God is calling not only upon ministers, but also upon physicians, nurses, canvassers, Bible workers, and other consecrated laymen of varied talents who have a knowledge of present truth to consider the needs of the unwarned cities. Everything, everything promotes everything else. In our restaurant, we've got pictures on the wall of our health center 65 miles out of town. People ask, where's that? It looks pretty, you know? Oh, that's our, that's the Lone Tree Health Center. It's 65 miles out of town. It's also where we grow the, the, the lettuce. It's on a salad bar. You grow your own lettuce? Yeah, it's organic, pretty cool. We can't claim it's organic because it takes five years to get the certification, but we didn't put anything on it, you know? <laughs> okay, um, it, the farm gives our restaurant really cool bragging rights. You know, we don't have everything organic. It'd be nice, but we don't. But we can say, we, this is, we grew it ourselves. That's cool. People like that, okay? The restaurant advertises for the farm. We want a team of canvassers. We've got a team of canvassers right now. We've got uh, Washtenaw Hills College has a, a team of, of 15 canvassers uh, doing a megabook program in Wichita. And you know what? They're handing out, every door they go to, they're handing out a piece of paper that has a little advertisement for DeSozo, the restaurant, Okay? Um, that's what canvassers do, you know? They don't just sell books, they advertise, okay? We need people out there on the streets doing, doing you know, house-to-house -house work, 
You know, you can get into a lot of houses just by going up to the door and knocking on it and say, you know, my name's so-and-so and I'm from such and such a church and, and, and we're just working through the neighborhood here. Do you have anything that you need that you'd like me to pray for? People like that. Not everyone. You know, some people say, eh, no, go away. You know, there's some people who say that. But there's a lot of people. You get into a lot of houses that way. We need people out there doing that. We need all these different things working together. That's what will make city mission work go, okay? Where will it all end? You're probably wondering that about my talking. Where will it all end? We're almost done. We're really, truly, we're almost done here, okay? God has given us a commission which angels might envy. Pause for just a moment. I would like to propose for your consideration something that I believe to be true. Every angel in heaven would trade places with you that fast if you had the chance. For the simple reason that this earth, out of all the universe, is the only place where souls are being saved. And angels are all about saving souls. Unfortunately, we aren't always all about saving souls. So the angels have nearly permission, you know, it's almost permission here for them to envy. It says they might, I don't know. Okay, God has given us a commission which angels might envy. The church has been charged to convey to the world without delay God's saving mercy. This is the trust that he has given us and it is to be faithfully executed. Medical missionary work is to be done. Thousands upon thousands of human beings are perishing in sin. <clears throat> the compassion of God is moved. All heaven is looking on with intense interest to see what character medical missionary work will assume under supervision of human beings. They already watched what Jesus did. Jesus did medical missionary work. They already know what it's like when God runs a program. Now they want to see what it's like when we run it. She asks some questions. Will men make merchandise of God's ordained plan for reaching the dark parts of the earth with the manifestation of his benevolence? Will they cover mercy with selfishness and then call it medical missionary work? There are times, I believe, when that has been done. God is calling for a selfless medical missionary work. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. You know, we look at that statement, we think, you know, it has something to do with whether or not we eat Vigilinks or something. I don't know. You know, what does it take to perfectly reproduce the character of Christ? Look at the next statement. The completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. God's work is a benevolent work. There is no change in the messages that God has sent in the past. The work in the cities is the essential work for this time. When the cities are worked as God would have, then the result will be the setting and operation of a mighty movement such as we have not yet witnessed. That, my friends, is the loud cry. In context, there's no question. Do you want to see the loud cry? Take it to the cities then. Take it to them right. Do it God's way. Move forward by faith. Act as if you had thousands of dollars. <laughs> Somebody has to do it. You know, hi, everybody here listened to at least one sermon from David Gates? You know? Extreme faith does not recognize international boundaries. 
It's not something that only happens in South America. Step up to the plate. There is to be a working of our cities as they, have never, as they never have been worked. That which should have been done, I added, 120, yes, more than 120 years ago, is now to be done speedily. The work will be more difficult to do now than it would have been years ago, but it will be done. It will. It will. Now, I have to make a confession. See the emphasis there? I added that. Okay. <laughs> and last, my personal favorite quote. We shall see the medical missionary work broadening and deepening at every point of its progress because of the inflowing of hundreds and thousands of streams until the whole earth is covered as the waters cover the sea. That's what medical mission work is going to do. There's only one question. Only one question. Brothers and sisters, are you willing to be one of those streams? Or will we continue to be islands sticking up through that which is supposed to cover the whole earth? I'm done. You thought it would never happen. Bless you. The patience of the saints is located right here in Loma Linda. <laughs> How do we want to handle this? Do we have pick up some cards or have a closing prayer and then do a QA letter? Okay. Let's let's stand for prayer. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for the fantastic fun I've had today. I, I love this stuff, Father, and I love to present it. I pray that someone, maybe many, will have gained something that will be useful and practical and helpful to them. Lord, we probably do not yet fully understand what you're calling us to. But Lord, you're calling us. I pray you'd help us to come. There will be differences in how we work. There will be differences of understanding. That's all fine. But Father, there are simple things that simple people like me can do. I pray that you would bless everyone to take the varied talents that they have. We have some here who have, have considerable training, wonderful talents. Make them fruitful in your cause, I pray. We have others who have, for whatever reasons and circumstances, less training. But you've told us that even they may be rich in other lines of learning, that they may know things that those of us who think we know all about the books don't know. I pray that you would take them and use them. Father, I just want to consecrate to your service every life here. They stuck it out this long. They must have some interest. I pray you would bless them now. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>